0: I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today.
1: Welcome to episode 639 with my guest, Michelle E. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Metal Illness Happy Hour. place for honesty about everything. Everything going around in our head. <laughs> and I just... <laughs> I just chased away a hundred new listeners. That's how I like to celebrate my Thursday. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. This is not a doctor's office. This is a place for a nut job to run his mouth. Let's dive into some surveys. I Actually, I wanted to, to share something. You know, I, we talk on the podcast a lot about having to cut contact with people in our lives that are unhealthy for us. And a lot of times, especially if it's a a parent or or a family member, it's a really difficult decision because there are things about that relationship that are good and that memories that we love. And having cut contact with my mom years ago, sometimes a memory will come up of, A moment where I felt really loved and seen by her. And it's really painful because, um, well, I don't have to say why. I think it's probably self-explanatory, but I was hanging out with a friend today and the the song Allison by Elvis Costello came on. And I Remembered when I was a teenager my parents were uh, in England my dad was over there on business and my mom went with him and she walked into a record store and this would have been and here's how old I am this would have been like 1977 78 maybe 79 and uh she said what's an album I can bring back to the to the states that you know isn't popular yet there but you think is going to be popular that my sons might be interested in And she brought My Aim is True. And it's an amazing album. But I was 15 years old and I looked at the cover and I went, fuck this guy. He's a nerd. I listened to about five minutes of it and put it away. Cut to, I don't know, five years later, I'm in college. Somebody puts on the album and I was like, this is amazing. But it's such a fond memory of that. And, and I think a couple of years after that, maybe 82, she was in a department store. And there was a song on the radio that she really liked. And she said to the person in a department store, uh, who is this? What album is this? And uh, they gave her the cassette. She bought it. And... It was the first time I'd ever heard Tom Petty. It was his first album, the uh, Damn the Torpedoes album. And it it remembering those things uh, is such a warm feeling and having to I don't know, not having contact with the person that did those things is really painful and and sad. And so I don't know, anybody out there that is had to cut contact with somebody, uh, and there are fond memories. You, you're not alone in experiencing that. Uh, let's go into some surveys. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey, and this is filled out by, uh, <laughs> I think we've read some of her surveys, a woman who calls herself angry and her crybaby. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself before? Adult child recovery and depression treatment, I would say you're not doing it right, any of it. You're a fraud, an imposter. You don't deserve success, happiness, good things. You are not good enough. You don't fit in. You don't belong. After being in recovery and treatment for several years, self-sabotage has been a survival tool. You don't need it anymore. You are safe. You are loved. You are good enough. You deserve good things. You're learning and growing, and I'm proud of you. Keep going. Enjoy today. The journey happens one day at a time. Oh, man. Beautiful. This is from Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a trans woman who calls herself Maxwell and about uh, her love addiction. She says, The more people I have that love me, the less I feel loved. I think I understand that one. Um, Yeah. God, love addiction is a motherfucker. Uh, About her sex addiction, if I can give them what they want, maybe they'll accept me. And about her dissociative identity disorder, it's like I'm always alone but never alone at the same time. Wow, that one is deep. Thank you for those. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey. Uh, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Boogie Monster. And uh, she writes, uh, uh, how about doing an outro with your music playing behind it? I like your music a lot, but I don't like it playing behind the surveys. I can't really pay attention to what you're reading. Uh, and then parentheses, go ahead, do it. Uh, I think she's referring to my uh, occasional casting people to hell. Uh, I'm not going to cast you to hell. Um, but I will cast you to a zip code with really, really depressed uh, property values. I don't know if it's my ADHD and it's too distracting, or because I have tinnitus from all that clubbing in my youngin my youngin years. Love the word youngin. But I think it would be a great send off. Guess I didn't ask you anything more of a request. I would say I like your intro too much to ask you to mess with it. Um I assume what you mean is to keep the music in the outro but have more clips of uh from from the interviews kind of like the the uh, opening montage. Uh that is that is actually a good idea, but I'm I'm a little low on the audio clips um of of people saying things and I certainly would not want to bite off having to to put new music under it and time it with uh, the the clips there. Wow. This is... I am over-explaining this. I'll think about it. How's that? How's that? But thank you for suggesting it, and I'm glad you like the music. Uh, but I'm going to keep it under the, uh, when I read the interviews, because I, I kind of like it. And I like sharing the music that I, that I make with you, uh, you the listener. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself the mom, faking it till she kind of makes it. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? God, you are going to fuck up your kids with your self-loathing and food obsessions if you don't get your shit together, just like your mom did to you. Thank you for that. Boy, I can't imagine the thoughts that a parent has, especially a parent who is who's really concerned with... Uh, trying to raise their kids in a way that's right and and breaking the cycle. How much, if you have that mean voice in your head, how much that voice must fuck with you? This is from the love survey filled out by a guy who calls himself John. And uh, he writes, I love when my one-year-old son hugs me and presses his chubby cheek into mine, knowing that he feels safe and loved and that his dad is there for him, knowing that I'm breaking the pattern of my father who left my mom before I was born. Loving my son has given me more empathy for myself and so much comfort knowing that he will have what I did not. I love being in a healthy, loving relationship with my wife. Uh, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship for seven years before I met her. Through therapy, I realized I was playing out patterns from my narcissistic mother being emotionally abusive and manipulative and extracted myself from that marriage. I'm so grateful and I was able to heal enough to recognize a healthy person that was good for me. The idea that I somehow met her out of all the billions of people on earth blows me away, and I'm still a little terrified of messing it up as I continue to deal with some of my issues with childhood. She is so kind and understanding, and I'm still coming around to the idea that I am worthy of her love, but I'm getting there. I love when my anxious, high-strung Jack Russell boxer mix dives into the pile of warm laundry I put on the bed to fold. For a few moments, he is completely at peace in the world as I slowly unfold the laundry and excavate him. Sometimes I let my clothes get wrinkled just so he can enjoy his warm, safe cave for a few more minutes. Oh my God, do I love those. Thank you for those. This is, uh, from the Ask Paul Anything survey, uh, oh, filled out by our friend again, Angry Inner Cry Baby, and, uh, she says, when did you learn to play the guitar and or piano? When did you first discover music as a cathartic release? Who do you listen to when you're celebrating something, when you're mourning, when you're chilling? Uh, I started playing guitar when I was 14. Um, I don't know how to play piano. I mean, I fuck around on it, but it's, uh. It's, it's pretty ugly to witness in person. Uh, so if you hear something on my music that's me playing piano, it took me a hundred times to do it, or I did it note by note. Um, I, when I, as far as music that uh, I can recommend, because I feel this way about it, that when I'm in a good mood or energetic, especially if I'm woodworking, uh, Salsa Music by Hector Laveau. If you have never listened to Hector Laveau, uh, he is kind of to salsa what James Brown is to uh, funk and soul music. Amazing, amazing. Uh, I like some of uh, Bruno Mars's stuff. Uh, Met him in a Whole Foods one day. He was wearing a uh, Chicago Blackhawks hat. And I said, hey, man, I love your hat. And he was like, thank you. Super, uh, super nice guy. Uh, Django Reinhardt. Great, great guitar player. Really, I think kind of the one of the godfathers of uh, jazz guitar music. Really, um, the the style is called gypsy jazz, but I'm also told that that is a term that uh, some people find problematic, so I'm not sure what to call that style of music anymore, but his stuff is is especially the song Minor Swing, and then I love the song Sing, Sing, Sing by uh, Benny Goodman band. I think it's one of the greatest big band songs ever. Um, When I'm kind of sad or melancholy, how do you not go to Simon and Garfunkel? I think some of the Beatles songs, like Nowhere Man, oh my God, that song hits me so deep. And then uh, when I'm in the mood for for something that's kind of, I don't know, meditative, has a, a... a good kind of groove to it. J.J. Uh, Cale. Uh, I don't know if he's alive anymore, but he's a guy from Oklahoma. I don't know. There's something about musicians from Oklahoma. Maybe because it's located in the middle of the country, it gets a huge number of influences of different things. You know, country, rock, gospel. But there's there's a groove that is particular. Two musicians from Oklahoma that just, uh, I love, I love so much. Um, of course, Radiohead. And if you have never heard the uh, cover of Paranoid Android and the Radio, Radiohead song Paranoid Android by the pianist Brad Meldow, pause this podcast right now and go listen to it. So I hope that, uh, I don't know, gives you some suggestions of stuff to listen to or helps you get to know me a little better. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, I cannot imagine where I would be without therapy. You know, self-knowledge is so, so important to us having lives that that work uh, to to grow towards who we aspire to be. And uh, I love my therapist. Her name's Heidi. I've been with her for, I don't know, a year or, or two now. And uh, if you have never tried therapy, you're thinking of starting it. Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mental today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash mental. And would love it if you would include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. Pulitzer Prize finalist and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When breath becomes air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com/slash-breath. And then uh, finally, this is from the voice in your head survey filled out by a trans woman who uh, calls herself Savannah. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? I tell myself that I'm not crazy. I will beat my cancer, have people that love me, and one day I will be a better person when I get out of prison. My consciousness might be disintegrated.
0: Heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction.
1: <laughs> and Moral Injury. I
0: would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. or with my Barbies. <laughs>
1: The greatest source of our suffering... Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens. ...is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions. It is
0: very hard to heal in dark isolation.
1: I developed compassion.
0: It is in connection and community where that happens.
1: The process was nearly unbearable. Like, I'm going to have to kill myself. We'll be right back after this. (laughs) I'm here with uh, Michelle and Gracie. Um, Michelle came on my radar... Um because her father said, you know, I think my daughter would be a good guest for you. And when I say your father <laughs> how do how do I explain it? Why don't you mm-hmm. explain how how you got to be sitting uh here on the table across from me?
0: Okay. All right. So my father is from Homewood, Chicago. And I am from Tucson, Arizona. My parents met at the U of A while my father was playing hockey. And um, my mother had, I believe, her side of the story. She just recently got fired from a job and ended up at the bar my father was working at. My father seems to believe that she saw him on TV and she was looking for him. So there's probably some truth mixed in both sides.
1: And he was on TV because of being hockey. a hockey player. Yeah, yeah, apparently
0: he's a Hall of Famer there now. So is he really? Yeah. He's
1: Bob. Bob is so funny. He never, he would never talk. Yeah. About that, would never brag about his exploits and he was such a good hockey player when we were kids.
0: And you know, I could have sworn I swear me and my mom both heard him being discussed on the radio at some point. It was just popped through the, you know, through the the radio and I, I could have sworn I heard his name being talked about. But yeah, so I've always known he is around. I know who he is, um, and his name and where he's at. But he left when He had to graduate college, you know, Mm -hmm. they were, they dated a little bit. And I believe my father was engaged to somebody in Phoenix at the time. So it was a fling, you know, but they got along really well.
1: And when did Bob find out that your mom was pregnant with you or that you had been born and were his kid?
0: I believe three months before he graduated at the U of A. And he had already created um, a career for himself at Mount uh, Mount, Carmel. Mount Carmel is yeah. a
1: teacher, which is in Chicago. Yeah,
0: so he was on his way back, 22 years old, and confused and scared as shit. You know, I'm sure scared as shit. Now that I'm older, I can. Ugh, 22. So, um, you know, and my mom was 32 or 30, you know, or you know around there. So she was much more uh, together than he was. She was already in her career, and she already had a son that was 10, and she was a single mother already. Hmm. So she always thought she was going to be a single mother. She kind of manifested this whole situation anyways. So she took it under her wing. She wanted kids. So um you know, and I think she was in love with him, but um she can't handle love in that form. So How, how so? I believe she's not been diagnosed, but um through conversation with a psychiatrist he said, Wow, your mom sounds like she has B P D, borderline personality disorder and when, you know, he described it to me, I looked into it, she even agrees that it sounds like it, but she's fucking done with doctors. You know, who gives a shit at this point, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's about healing, it's not about Tell me what I am, so I can fall into right. a hole. Right, which so. some people find comforting.
1: Yes, but certainly not necessary. Her
0: her journey with doctors is much different than a lot of people that go to them for help and and, and get it. She's, and when
1: you say a doctor,s you mean psychiatrists?
0: Uh, uh, uh from medical oh. to yeah, the whole the whole okay. the whole thing. Unfortunately, is, it's yeah, she's very resistant. So. Um, Yeah. So I just grew up being a a fatherless little girl, knowing where he was at and always threatening that I was going to run back to him when she treated me bad and stuff. And And would he call? He would talk to my mom on the phone. He would talk to my mom on the phone. I would hear them laughing through the door. You know, I think that they kept up because, you know, she was lonely and wanted somebody to talk to and um, somebody she's comfortable with. She doesn't go out too much she kind of stays with what she knows and uh he he was a young guy still at that yeah. point you and know he was still barely how old was i when i i was still in elementary when this was going on he was 22 to he's probably barely 30 you yeah. know so he was still a young guy at this point and um they would converse now and again but my mom you know has her big outbursts so it didn't last for too too long i would hear that they would laugh and stuff you know i'd listen through the door but he never talked to me why I don't know. One time she had me call him when I was a little girl. She, he, I called his house and he answered and he asked me a couple of questions and um, then he got on the phone and yelled at my mom and was like, don't ever do that to me again. Um, he just wasn't prepared for it. Right. So, and now I left it alone at that point. Yeah. I well, think I flipped the script on how I felt about him at that point.
1: Uh, one of the things that Bob said uh, when he uh, connected us was he said, don't pull any punches. Yeah. Uh, talking about me and 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 i'm glad he said that because i do want this to be an honest conversation even though there's a part of me that wants to protect my best childhood friend
0: everybody does and i discovered that yeah everybody wants to protect him um and that's fine you know and him and i have been at it he's seen my dark deep side we've gone through almost a year without speaking through our relationship we've been uh together now for about 10 years And there's been long stints where I was like, fuck this guy, fuck this situation. You know, like I was in my midst of my healing process or figuring shit out. So I, you know, I did that a few times, but I'd always been like, I miss him. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, then when I was 25 here in LA, kind of like down on my luck, kind of, uh, thinking that maybe I was like, you know what, maybe I got daddy issues, you know, maybe if I meet the guy. I can sort some of the shit out. I don't know. Maybe I can. And you know what I forgot to mention growing up? The reason why I am here with you, the big reason why I'm here with you is because I used to watch dinner in a movie with my mom when I was a child. Oh. Big time memory of us uh, you know, enjoying our time together. Me and my mom I was her best friend, you know, so mm. yeah. And I yeah, when I told him, I know I told him a long time ago, but he just everything and then when he it finally registered he just couldn't believe it and that's how he reached out to you so weird full circle in a way right yeah, weird yeah.
1: weird so let's let's talk about um your relationship with your mom and her emotional issues and then throw in the fact that you've got a dad that isn't he even interested yeah. or is afraid to talk to you on the phone for one reason or another? Yeah. Let's go back to your earliest memories of what your emotional life was, was like.
0: Yeah. Um, pretty chaotic. Pretty traumatic. And that's why my mom is a single mother because she doesn't want to be around men. She was sexually abused from being a toddler by her – I want to say my uncle. Her, her uncle so mm-hmm. and uh possibly a cousin as well and in bisbee which is where my family's from bisbee arizona it's a small copper mining town in southern arizona um you slip stuff under the rug because it's a small town you know and uh not for lack of love but you know my grandmother's a lot younger i don't know how she felt as a young mom you know as a adult I mean, I remember I was in an instance where two of the neighborhood boys wanted me to take off my clothes, and I ran out of that room being so aware of what happens to girls because my mom did not hold back on her experiences with me, no matter what age. So I ran out of there. I was like, these boys, and she was like, get out. So it's like, you know, I know that, uh, yeah. So
1: do you you ever feel like um, your mom overshared her childhood with you? in a way that went beyond just informing you of the dangers out there.
0: Yeah, there's something unique about my thinking whereas I feel like anybody who was even my brother who was subjected to the type of conversation my mom would share would probably could be in a very dark place, you know, but there's something inside of me that observes and and takes in the best of people and I value a lot of morals and things that my grandparents held strong because they were a solid loving couple that I basically raised me. So I learned a lot about love through them. And um, And
1: was it because your mom was working or there was just a lot of family stuff? Yeah, She was
0: working a lot, but my mom taught me about rape before she taught me about love. So I had to get, wow. Yeah. So I had to get, um, stable family ideals, from observation because it was a lot of entanglement, gave me a lot of bravery towards the opposite sex. She put a lot of anger inside of me. So I always kind of feel like my anger inside of me can protect me from a lot of things, you know, and I put that to the test in a lot of ways. But, um, that's not the appropriate way to go about life, especially if you carry that, what I call frequency around with you, you attract more things like that, which I've experienced recently. Actually, I feel like I'm going through like a little mini lesson right now, but, um, I think that I disowned my feminine side for a while in order to create a personality that would be more, um, I think your dog likes me. He's giving me lots of kisses. Yeah,
1: that Gricey does that throughout the interview. That's
0: sweet. Um, I think that, well, I grew up overweight. So I grew up being made fun of. And so I had to develop a personality because who I truly am inside needed those things to be filled. I, I really wanted to be popular. But what I hear is it's people who have experienced a lot of trauma that immediately when they walk in the room, they look for the most dangerous person or the most unstable person Mm -hmm. and they monitor that person. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody's having a party. I'm focused in on that person and I'm tearing them apart. You know, I'm making a filing cabinet and depending on, you know, I guess the situation. But I did everything in my power even to this day to try and make her happy. And, um, you know, she's still going. She's still going. You know, after all of this, she's still fucking going and still – taking care of me you know Mm -hmm. really
1: taking care of you how emotionally financially both
0: you know and she doesn't have much to give but no matter what she's always there for me giving me just everything if I go and stay with her she lets me take naps throughout that she'll watch my kids you Mm -hmm. know she does whatever I can to to let me relax and be happy and I gosh I miss my mom she's wonderful but, um, yeah.
1: When you say you miss her uh, because she doesn't live near you she or she Tucson. passed away? Tucson. Okay, yeah, Tucson.
0: She's in Tucson, Arizona, off the 10.
1: Do you feel yeah. it, it would be fair to say that you wanted to be seen but have control over the manner in which you felt seen?
0: Yeah. Talk Most about definitely. that. Um
1: because one of the things i find is this is the biggest hurdle to vulnerability. Yeah. It's like we crave something but we want to control it mm-hmm. which is is directly opposite to the very nature of vulnerability yeah. which is there's risk.
0: I think I think i was always i hate to say this. I feel like i was always destined for more. I feel like i have a lot to give. I feel like i have uh, a lot Behind my brain, my my eyes, right, my my brain. But um, my life has always been hit with a lot of like uh hard moments where I had to crash down really far, and I never got a chance to go to the U of A. You know, everybody else got to go to the U of A, and I think because of the constant failure I experienced, I kind of just want to burst out and be seen in the biggest way possible because it's like I'm I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to live my fucking life now, you know. But it's constant like wait wait, wait, now I've got kids, wait some more, you know, when it's just like, I love my kids, but damn, I'm shackled, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: If, if you could go back to an age where you could speak that truth, what would you say, whether it was to your younger self or people around you?
0: I would have realized that I had the power to do everything I fucking wanted to do myself, and I didn't have to wait for anybody to do it for me. And I am more than capable to do it. It's like I've gotten myself to Los Angeles living in a fantastic way, shape, and form. I love my job. I love my relationship, everything about my life here. Don't like L.A. too much, but love the life I'm living here. I'm proud of myself, but it's all underground. It's all underground. how? I moved out to L.A. to become an escort when I was uh, running away from my home in 2012, basically. I knew that I was going to be. I got recruited by a pimp while I was in Tucson, uh, through a weird way, through a guy that was trying to take me out on a date. And when I kept turning him down and turning him down, he was like, oh, I got somebody for you. And I guess I was just young and dumb. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just like, I, I, I'm in escape mode all the time. You know, I'm like, is he going to fall in love with me? Like, who's going to save me from this? I guess my, my mom's life with my mom was very tur, turbulent. So it was like, I didn't want to be there. So, um. He, they, I caught onto the new trend of pimps, basically, where they pretend they're your boyfriend and they promise you this, this, and that. And he comes and picks us up in a brand new Cadillac Escalade, drives around in his little Porsche. Like he, he knows exactly what to do to get you, you know. He bought me a cell phone before I moved to uh, L.A. And, um, yeah, he put me on, I guess. And uh, I did that for about a year.
1: So you, you met the, the pimp when you were in Arizona? In
0: Arizona. So oh, the gotcha. guy who lived in Arizona who had um, tried to date me or whatever, he was trying to take me out, had been neighbors with this guy when he lived in California. I see. So they were still in contact. Gotcha. And he forwarded my phone number to him. And he yeah. texted me immediately because he's like, oh, new recruit, you know. But um, I always know that I'm going to be okay. And in this instance, I was more than okay. I landed with somebody who said that if I need to hit you, I don't need to be with you. He was very—he owned several businesses. His father owned a trunking company in Texas. He was a father who drove down to San Diego every single weekend to see his kids. He treated me with nothing but respect. And, he,
1: and this was a romantic relationship? Never, no, we no, weren't attracted. Just a to friendship. S-
0: yeah, I—I I, I turned out to not be attracted to him, but he—he—I I told him, I said, "You—you you got me out here on a fucking lie." I was said I'm now I'm stuck in these damn hotel rooms. I am not happy. I was like, "And you're going to take my fucking money?" I mean, my mom so came out. So this
1: was a a kind pimp?
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just, uh, I know. Give me a minute to wrap my head around that yeah, one.
0: M- yeah. I know. He Th- was, those
1: are two words that that you d- do not associate a- with each other. Now is mm-hmm. Is there a part of you that is
0: uh, I have a lot of affection for Whitewashing him. that? Not at all.
1: It, not at explain all explain that to me because somebody who is exploiting your body for money
0: mm-hmm.
1: how is that kind
0: well it, in that instance it's not like the game is not so what i would receive is a text message with um just information about time name and uh how long it's going to be And, uh, my first,
1: what would you feel and hold your thought about where you're going? Well, yes. In that, in that moment, what are all the thoughts that go through your head?
0: (sighs) Mm. There's always something in me that knew I was going to dabble in this part of my life because I told myself that I had daddy problems and this was going to be the route that all girls take. So since I consider myself to be some type of a sexual explorer and, uh, crazy adrenaline seeker in some way, shape, or form. And I love I just love doing illegal shit sometimes. Um I always knew it was going to happen, so when it did happen I was somewhat prepared. Which is how weird. Old,
1: how old were you when that was first on your radar that this was going to be something that you might or will probably do? Young. How old?
0: But not young enough to say I was in elementary, maybe junior high. That that
1: is Intense.
0: Well, like I said, I was raised knowing my mom was raped. You know, I was I was privy to the dark world of shit. You know.
1: And do do you think the feeling that that was inevitable, inevitable, or probable had something to do with with your feeling of your self worth or your desire for the dark side? One hundred
0: percent. I had no self worth. Not at all. But I knew that I could take advantage of what I had to make money and make my way in a city that costs a lot of money, you know. And uh, I was living – I actually did it once in Tucson. And uh, we were running out of money for our bills. I was driving a 1985 Jeep Wagoneer that needed to be fixed, my dream car. And uh, I was like, fuck it. I didn't know what the prices were or anything. But I was like, an hour, 400 bucks. Let's fucking do this. And my friend's like, all right. So I went to the Arizona Inn which is a very nice hotel by the U of A, like really nice hotel. I went in there, the guy absolutely loved me, took 10 minutes, I walked out with 400 bucks, went straight to Taco Bell. <laughs> we celebrated, we had a lot of fun.
1: To, to, were, were there any thoughts so already that- already
0: knew, you know?
1: That that you were right by the U of A?
0: Always right by the U of A. What's that, what's
1: that like?
0: Dancing around the U of A, doing shit that I'm not supposed to, and not About, being in the U of A? Yeah. Heartbreaking. It's fucking weird. But you're like a therapist. Some of these guys... I've
1: heard people say that. Some some guys just want to be held and yeah. have somebody listen to them is that a cliche or do you have No, you and i got that- a
0: lot of attractive guys too it's like you it's not what you think it is it's not at all especially being a thick white girl i got tons of really attractive black guys you mm. know it wasn't ever like the really hot skinny blonde girls were getting the guys you don't want you know because like that's whatever you know what i mean they were getting the really rich guys that could afford it and you know all that stuff so it's like i kind of like feel like I slipped through the cracks on that too where it was more like a party for me I made a lot of friends I did help a lot of people I remember one guy came to see me in uh Ontario or something like that maybe Irvine and his wife had cancer and she couldn't have sex anymore and he was all excited to see me in the beginning but by the end man that guy probably went and cried in his car he felt so bad for doing that to his wife you know but as a man, I guess, needing to have that type of release or needing to have that type of affection. He wants to get it out. But afterwards, it's like you could just see his body was like clenching up. And I just felt so bad for him. I never saw him again, you know, and I could have sworn that guy was going to be a regular. You know, he loved me. We got along so well never again. But, you know, he probably just felt sick to his stomach. And I still that was how many years ago? Actually, not too long ago. And I just feel like he's in my heart, you know.
1: What, if anything, do you feel that you learned about men that expanded your view that you had been taught by your mom? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, there's a lot of different kinds out there. Or people. Yeah, people, right? Well, when I was living in that LA, life was a lot more fun you know when i was living in that dark la when I, the streets were different the i, I was in a safe place because i was everything was online never like figueroa street right so i yeah i i eventually was solo i was still in, in in contact with you know uh with my pimp you know he was kind of like my 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 looker over but he wasn't involved um I don't know. Wait, I'm so sorry. What's the question? Yeah.
1: Um, how, how did it expand oh, yeah. I- your view mm-hmm. of men or people in general or yourself? Yeah. I, I, I just I have a hard time Ooh. imagining that somebody can go through what you went through mm-hmm. and not have it be a perspective shift, whether positive or negative.
0: Well, because I knew – because I could observe my path as a child and kind of see the way it was, I felt like these were certain things that I need to overcome in a way in order to um – um to reach new understandings about myself and my life like, like oh, this is – I don't know if it was because, oh, this is my path. I'm going to just fall into it or this is my path. I'm going to explore it, tear it apart and figure it out.
1: And And was the idea always that it would be temporary?
0: Yeah, most definitely. Oh, God, yeah. I only dabble in shit for about six months to a year. Job this, that. Yeah. I don't stay too, too long. This is the long, not the longest job. I loved my job up in West Hollywood, but I had to leave that place. Um, I could have stayed there a long time. This one is the, a long-term one, but before everything is six months to a year. Cause it's like, I, I look at that clear blue sky outside the windows and I'm fucking stuck serving somebody at a table and I just got to break free. Like I cannot stay there. So, and that's what escorting gave me was like a freedom. You know, it's like, if I, have one appointment, then I got a place to sleep and the rest of the day is mine. You know, I'll go do what I want. But what I learned about people during that time was that everybody's pleasure-seeking and um, not necessarily at the expense of other people. They're just looking to fill a void. And I
1: I, I, I think that's such a great phrase, to, to fill a, a void.
0: Yeah, nobody's out there to really to hurt anybody. And if they do hurt somebody, it's just like uh, it, it's only to make them feel better. People are just hurt children running around. That's what you see in .LA. traffic. you know a bunch of fucking people taking out their anger, driving <laughs> it's around so true. Not I was just realizing- thinking
1: about that yesterday. So narcissistic. I mean if you think about it, people move here to be a, to be a star, to be the center of attention. Yeah. Why wouldn't traffic be a nightmare of nobody thinking about anybody that's, else? Well that you know it's a little extreme
0: It's so ironic.
1: How much of your story have you shared with your mom or Bob or your um, fiancé?
0: I met my fiancé doing it. He was one of my clients. And uh, my mom knows everything because I tell her everything. My mom's very real about the world, you know. She probably doesn't like hearing it. But, you know, a lot of time expressing myself and trying to show her how bad she hurt me, it definitely came out, you know, because – And those years, I was. It's like even after I came back to Tucson and realized I need an education if I am going to go back to LA. Like, you can't do this anymore. I am a, I am, I am a party girl. Like, I like to socialize. I like to laugh. Like, if I could laugh every day for the rest of my life, and I was homeless, I don't give a fuck. As long as I am laughing my ass off, I am happy. I am so happy, and um, just engaging conversation like this. This is like food to me. You know, I love to. Talk. And so um, I wasn't living like that. I'm honestly in a very traditional relationship for the most part. My guy is pretty democratic, you know, in a lot of ways when it comes to his thinking and how policy should be handled. But he's also first generation. He's one of seven. All of his other six siblings were born in Mexico. His father crossed Mm -hmm. the border in the 70s. So he was raised by a hardcore traditional coke selling mafioso, non mafioso, but he was a hard guy. So my like, just no friends, no life, uh, pregnant with a three-year-old at the time, just like, ugh, no friends. I had to pull myself back up and find myself worth through the whole thing. I had to pull myself back up. I had responsibilities and I pulled myself up so fucking far and got my confidence so far up from that moment. That I looked at my boyfriend and I said, "I fucking hate you. I'm leaving you. I'm going to move to Tucson. I hate the way you're treating me. I don't like he. He's uh, he he wishes he was Casanova at one point, you know. And we. This
1: is previous boyfriend. This is now boyfriend. Okay.
0: Um, this was about. Oh, this was now going on. This November will be two years ago. This happened. So it was right. Yeah, about December of 20, 21, 22 Yeah, twenty one. And um, I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything. You know, I was just stuck and uh so i packed up all my shit and i made a move me and my two kids to Tucson and uh that's uh basically the quick f- quick part of that story and uh, i went there i found myself I, I i had my friends walking through my front door again i was back with my family i smelled clean air i had my mountains i had everything i had i got myself a new job as an esthetician i w- i knew i wanted to do skincare
1: obviously something changed with him you you left him partially because he was abusive is there still abuse
0: um you know what really changed was my perspective of the whole situation um because what i realized that i needed from him was um what i needed to give to myself which was self-love um and build my confidence up i was looking for him to give me what i needed and there was this one tarot card reader that uh kind of said it right. She was like, you're getting an opportunity right now to leave your relationship while it's still intact to go find yourself, which was very mind blowing. She said that. She's like, but you need to ask yourself, not about him. Would you date yourself? And my answer immediately was, God no. I, I I was not feeling attractive. I had no job, no car, no friends. Like, ugh, like I would never date myself. And I was like, no wonder this situation's so fucked up. It takes two to tango, you know?
1: Right. But it is, is is there any part in there where you're excusing his bad behavior? Was he verbally abusive, physically oh, abusive? Oh, yeah. All of it. Why, why is – help me understand how that is okay to be part of a healthy life.
0: Because I – like I said, it takes two to tango and it got to a really nasty point where
1: – I see. So so there yeah. y- you were a part of things escalating? You know, not, not, not that that yes and excuses no. somebody being abusive but mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head mm-hmm. around this. I'm
0: trying to explain it to – for people to understand or for you to understand where um, when there's love that exists – and not in a uh, domestic violence type situation where you're being manipulated, right? Like I, I I, could have had the freedom to leave if I wanted to in a way, right? It's like his love and passion for me comes out when I'm about to leave. So that's a little tripping area. But um, I, I, I wasn't doing anything with myself. And every time I went to work, when I did work, I worked at this really awesome barbershop up in West Hollywood. When I came home, I bitched about everybody nothing ever made me happy i was bitching 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 um n- like just making the world out to be something that well, like tying uh situations together to to uh to t- tell myself i was a victim
1: so it, were <laughs> any boundaries set by you were yeah. there any, okay cuz oh, yeah. that
0: he knows not to fuck with me. If I wanted that job that I have now with the way that I was at that time, I would have gotten fired in a week because no talking there. And I back talk like crazy, you know. But I understand now the environment I am in. I understand emotional maturity. I understand uh, professionalism. These things I had to acquire. These things I wanted to be. I wanted to be so bad. And I saw myself like that. But the way that I acted out in person was so immature. That's so That's great that immature. you can
1: recognize those things and that you can – see your part in it, because I think it's almost impossible for us to grow and move forward uh, and have the life that we want if we can't look back at how we mishandled things or use the wrong tools and and to try to learn from it, not in a way that, you know, where we ruminate about it and hate ourselves, but note to self next time this happens.
0: Yeah, and you know what? This may not be the way for everybody, but... This gives me life. This makes me feel like I don't live in this concrete work till you die world. Like Mm. there is magic out there and I've fucked with it before and I like it. I don't care how weird it is, how like I like it and I like the physics of it. I love physics. And there's so many books out there that explain just kind of what it is beyond this dimension. And I, I, that's my life now. It's, it's hard for me. I feel like I'm in that, that generation that's like... I know what it used to be like Mm -hmm. without technology and what it is like having technology, you know, the cell phone came out, like I could text under my desk, Mm -hmm. uh, by memorizing the letters and the numbers in high school, you know, like that was my, uh, technology. So, um, I feel like I, I am kind of like one of those old people that it's like, damn, I feel bad for these kids, but, um, I do. I do. They don't, they don't know what it feels like to have good customer service. They don't know what it feels like to have people have compassion for each other or to open the door for you, or they don't know what it feels like to be chased down the street by somebody who's attracted to you and truly want to get your phone number, not rape you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the girls I work with right now are so afraid of being attacked on the street. And I I've been out of society. It feels like for a few years because I've been raising kids and I've mm-hmm. had no job. So now that I'm back in society from 2019 to now, whoo, but I was in Orange County, Fullerton from for 2019. So maybe the the ideals are a lot different down there. It
1: is it's, it's like com- another country to, compared then, to Los Angeles.
0: 100%. So yeah. I don't know what what was actually being inherited in that area and how much mm-hmm. it was over here, but um much different they they sound like my mom in the 90s my mom used to be like why can't i walk around without a shirt on men do it you know she was a hardcore feminist with all the right things that people are saying now back then and i and i just like everybody else dismissed her as crazy oh and she's not she's a genius
1: well michelle thank you for coming by and sharing your story (laughs) and uh and going so deep so deep I, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. It was great to be here.
1: <laughs> many, many thanks to to Michelle. And uh, some of the stuff that she said, I think uh, people might disagree with. Uh, some some things probably even strongly. But I decided to leave that stuff in there because uh, I think... Uh, my instinct sometimes is a people pleaser, is I don't want anybody to take exception to anything that I air, and that's—I don't know—that's kind of a childish way to to look at uh, to look at things. So, either way, I hope uh, I hope you find found it uh, compelling, interesting, enlightening, entertaining. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Lady Double Life. Ooh, this is uh, intriguing. She identifies as straight. She's in her 40s. She was raised, uh, she says, in a totally chaotic environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, She writes, my father, uh, the memories are spotty now because I was in a coma. Wow. And now I can hardly remember anything. Anything from my childhood, which is probably a good thing because I only remember it being awful. She's been physically abused and emotionally abused. Again, my father, also my first husband. My mother as well, always guilting me ever since I can remember. She still does it till this day. Any positive experiences with abusers? My father's passed away and I'm divorced from the first shithead husband. This shit follows me around every day of my life. I don't know how to get rid of it, and I don't even know how to be happy. I don't know how to forgive myself for becoming an alcoholic and almost dying. It probably stems from the guilt I've always felt from my mother and my family. My thought as I read this is deal with the addiction, the alcoholism first, because when we are engaged in an addiction and we are trying to grow or excavate things, it is uh, I don't know what the analogy would be for it, but it's next to impossible. Uh, I would even say a waste of a waste of uh, eh, maybe not a waste of time, but um, one step forward, eight steps back in my opinion, in my opinion. Darkest thoughts. I live a double life. I'm married again, but I am doing drugs and he doesn't know. I smoke crack and every now and then do a little bit of heroin or fentanyl. I'm so fucking miserable. I want to stop it so bad. But when I did try and get sober, I was still miserable too. Uh, I'm in chronic pain every single day, so it's no wonder I do drugs. I'm a recovering alcoholic with 10 years sober. Um, If you're still doing fentanyl, pardon me for being a Budinsky, but that to me is not sober just because you're not drinking. Um, Again, just my opinion. Alcoholism left me in a coma and I wish I was dead. I wish... That I was not spared. I don't understand why I am still here. The doctor said I am a miracle. Every single day is a shitstorm in my life. Every day something bad happens or something shits all over me. I'm in horrible debt and my job is spotty at best. I fucking hate that I'm still here. I've remarried and now I regret that. My now husband acts like he is my roommate or father. We hardly ever have sex and when we do, I always initiate it. He's always telling me what to do or questioning me. It's fucking ridiculous, and I hate it. Wow, that is a lot. That must feel super, super overwhelming. And if I can make a suggestion, it would be to prioritize the tornadoes in your life. And I think a therapist could help with that. I think a support group would help with that. Because one of the things when our life gets fucked is... It's like we don't know where to begin, and by being in connection with people who have experience with recovery and juggling all these plates full of shit that make us not want to be alive uh, can really give us some momentum to move forward, and then it can help us, once we get a little momentum moving forward, it can help us be inspired to do the next step that helps us, and... uh, man i feel i feel for you because i've been in that place maybe the the details were a little different but waking up and wishing i had died in my sleep eh, that is no way to go through life so i feel for you darkest secrets if i had the opportunity to have an affair i would uh, sexual fantasies most powerful to you i want to have a threesome or five or four or five some and i want women involved how does sharing that make me feel i don't know It makes me feel weird saying it out loud, but fuck it. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my first husband I hope he dies in a fiery crash. I hope he feels the pain that I felt and that I feel every day. I want to tell him I wish I would have kept the baby, that he made me have an abortion. I have to deal with that every day of my life, and I don't have any kids now, and I feel like I'm constantly being punished because of what I did. I want to tell him that he ruined my life. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I was dead. As as much as I um, hate to read when, when somebody writes that, um, I know it is not uncommon for people to wish that that they were not alive. And One of the things I heard in support groups early on was if nothing changes, nothing changes. And one of the scariest things in the world is asking for help, especially if we came from an environment where it didn't feel safe to ask for help or we were always being told what to do and there wasn't intimacy. You know, it sounds like you have zero intimacy in your life and that's horrible. Who would want to be alive when you have no intimacy in your life? So finding a place. And for me, that was getting help for my drug addiction and alcoholism and all my other shit. Have you shared these things with others? No, I have not shared because nobody gives a shit. That is not true. There are people that give a shit. How do you feel after writing these things down? Angry, angry about how my life has turned out. I hate where I live. I hate being married. I hate my jobs. Uh, I hate that I'm not a mother. I have no clue how to be happy. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, call me. How are you dealing with this shitstorm? Any advice is welcome. Thank you. I'm really glad you filled that out because that's, that's important stuff. And man, when, when, when we feel stuck, it, we go to the self-pity card and we forget that we do have things in our control like asking for help. Um, it, it is hard to heal the brain. It is hard to heal an unhealed brain with an unhealed brain. I don't know if that makes any sense. I know what I said. This is from the love survey filled out by somebody who calls themselves 25 and still alive. And they write, uh, I love my longboard. I don't live far from where I work, so I ride my board into work every day. Starting my day with this little bit of exercise and some good music each day is immensely beneficial to my mood. I love that. I love stuffed animals that I keep on my bed. They give me something to hold at night and remind me that I'm not too old to love childish things here and there. I love that too. I love the paintings I have hung on my walls. It may be self-indulgent in a negative way, but I painted them all and I like the style I paint in. It's nice to have pride in my own creations. Totally agree. I don't think that's self-indulgent at all. What I do think is, I don't know, I don't know if I would call it self-indulgent, but can be a little dicey, is giving somebody something that you made in the expectation that they're going to display it in their house. Because if they don't like it, they're in the position of, what the fuck do I do? And what they usually wind up doing is hanging it in the room that nobody visits. Um, I love when winter arrives. I, or or, I live in Texas and I love that it's finally cold enough to wear jackets and cardigans again. Uh, it's where all the style is and complimenting other people's coats is a great way to break the ice and meet new faces. I love that. I love that. That I, I think that is one of the things in life that we so often forget to do is to just get out there and fucking mix it. Mix it up. Say something to somebody in in line for for coffee, or it's I don't know. It's it, it to me. It adds beauty in life because there's something so nice about being reminded that there are good people everywhere, and I forget that. I love walking my dog and just letting him take the lead on where we go. It's always fun to see where uh, the senses of another animal will take you. So good. I love hot tea and spicy ramen noodles. I will not be elaborating. Well, well, I'm not going to push you to elaborate. I think ramen is something that's a private decision. I think that should be kept at the very least, with the person and their partner. But ultimately, how the partner feels about the ramen intake, it's none of their business. But if your ramen intake is affecting them, you need to take that into consideration. I'm not even going to go into the hot tea, especially if you're drinking Earl Grey. Ugh. Ugh. There is no excuse ever to drink Earl Grey. Bergamot? I cast you to hell. This is from the Shame and Secret Sur- Survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Cardboard Jalopy. He identifies his straight. He's in his 30s. He says he was raised... In a slightly dysfunctional environment, he's never been sexually abused. He writes, I don't know if this is the right survey for this, as it does not involve abuse, but I need to get this secret off my chest. Darkest thoughts. Oh, he did not respond to the question. Um, Oh, he did respond. Ever been physically or emotionally abused? He just writes, not sure. Darkest thoughts. If my wife were to get pregnant, I don't know if I would be able to cope. circus secrets. I very recently got married to a beautiful woman who loves me very much. I love her too, but recently I met someone who changed my life and I can't see things the same way anymore. She is also in love with her partner and neither of us were looking to end up in this situation, but I think we're falling in love and I don't know what to do. We are so in sync with each other emotionally and are just honest and good to one another. We've developed an effortless, Intimacy with each other in such a short time that I don't have with many of my closest friends or family. We tried really hard to keep things platonic and deny very powerful natural feelings in order to be mature and do the right thing, but it was inevitable we wouldn't be able to keep that up for long. We aren't sleeping together, but by all other accounts, we are engaging in a double affair. The physical things we do allow ourselves to do with one another and are very loving, and the chemistry is intense. We feel like best friends, but with so much more that our relationship could become if we let it. I think we both expected we would feel guilty, and we are both definitely managing some complicated and shameful feelings regarding our significant others. But to be honest, this is the happiest I think I've felt with anyone ever. Total connection, appreciation for one another, respect. I know this sounds insane, but we even give each other support and advice on our other relationships with total selflessness. I know what we're doing isn't right, but I've lived enough to know how rare it is to feel this way about someone who feels the same way back. Thing is, I love my wife. And I thought that was enough for me to spend the rest of my life with her. But this other person makes me feel something I thought didn't exist. It's far more than the shiny new feelings of lust which I have overcome before. I know if this goes on and on and we are lucky enough to not get caught, we will have to Both end things with our significant others. If it comes to that, it will be so, so hard to do, and I risk destroying so much good and losing friends and family in the process, but I will if I have to. I feel like I'm a different person than I was just a few months ago, and if I just let this relationship die and go back to my marriage, I may never be happy again. Am I the world's biggest piece of shit? I feel like I am making—I'm asking—risking so much— and I do have a conscience. Why does it not feel wrong? I don't know the answer to that question. It could be that it's so intense that it outweighs the feelings of guilt. Um, I'm sure this is this is not a news uh newsworthy thought to you, but your partner I think deserves to know uh what's what's going on so that she can make an informed decision unless you th- think you're going to end this, uh, thing with the, with the person you're having the affair with you know, I think it's one of two things that you've, you've found your life partner or there's a cycle of, uh, intimacy, intimacy struggles where, when there are no hurdles to being in a relationship with somebody, you shut down or lose interest. And the only ones that really fire you up are the ones where there's a hurdle between you getting close to that person, you know, either because they're in another relationship or, you know, they live on the other side of the world, et cetera, et cetera. But who knows, who knows, but I think, um, yeah, I think you got some tough decisions and, um, you know when we're in a relationship and especially like if we're living with somebody it it brings up things and feelings that don't get raised when we're in a relationship with somebody and there are hurdles um because we can stay in fantasy about that person because we're not living with them. When we're living with somebody or spending a lot of time with somebody in a way where there are no hurdles, any fantasy we have of them gets chipped away bit by bit by bit. And that's a good thing. So I don't know. I don't know, man. But I'm glad you shared that. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I just want a safe space and nothing to be holding us back from making love and taking our time. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I love you, but this is not the life I want to live. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish my lover and I could be free to take our time exploring this feeling with one another. I wish, even if it doesn't work out, to live a life where I can explore feelings like this. I wish to be seen by someone the way I feel seen by her. Knowing that I am not seen in my marriage is heartbreaking. I put my feelings second for years. I want to prioritize this feeling and live my life accordingly. You know, a thought just occurred to me that you might try marriage counseling with your wife and see if feelings can be fostered that you think you can only find in this other person. I mean, it, it might not achieve anything, but... I don't know, man, this is, your story is very, very complicated and, um, have you shared these things with others? Yes, several friends who I feel safe to tell, but honestly, it's hard for them to really relate. The ones I've gotten through to are excited for me, but also terrified. <laughs> you feel after running these things down a little gassy, that'll do it. Talking about affairs, it activates the lower GI system and, um, Oh, that's funny. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I never thought this would happen to me, and now I feel like a character in a movie. I feel like such a cliche, but it's very real. If you're in the same boat, I feel for you. Music help, it's, helps. It's basically what 97% of songs were written about. And and the other thing that uh, I wanted... What was the thing I wanted to share? Motherfucker. Uh, God damn it It's Right on the Right on the tip of my brain And then I totally Totally fucking spaced You know when I'll think about it Tonight And I'm laying Trying to fall asleep This is uh, also from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Desert Gal. I believe we've read surveys from her before. Uh, She's in her 60s. She uh, identifies as straight. Uh, She says that she was raised in a totally chaotic environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. She writes, My mom was a bipolar alcoholic and drug addict. She sexually abused my sister from the time she was an infant. When my sister was around 12 and I was 10, she ran away and stayed with a friend's family who took her in. It was during this time that my mom abused me. The night it happened, she was priming me, and she said we would do more the next night. I'm not sure where this voice inside of me came from, but I remember speaking in a very deep voice, and I responded with, no, you won't. After that, she never touched me again. My mom neglected me, and by the time my dad got custody of me a year later, I was very ill and starving. I feel sick to my stomach when I think about this time, and I hate her for her actions. My sister passed away from heat stroke when she was 14. The hospital could never confirm what exactly happened, but I always wondered if she somehow took her own life. What she endured as a child and her death will always haunt me. Therapy has helped. But how do you heal such a deep wound? I don't know. Wow, that is fucking heavy. Uh, She's been physically abused and emotionally abused. My mom often left the house and told us she was never coming back. I remember my siblings, I also have a brother whom my mom sexually abused, would stand at the door and cry begging her to stay, but she would drive off and leave us for a day or two. My dad worked out of town, so she would often do this. We were so young that I don't think we knew what to do or say or even mention to my dad when he returned. This is just one of the things that stands out, but there are so many examples. My mom sometimes gave us drugs, and my brother and I uh, know that we had hallucinations. Wow. Wow. Jesus. Any positive experiences with the abuser? No, never. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes wish I could go back to when my mom were alive and hurt her. Darkest secrets? I'm not sure, question mark. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Probably a threesome with two men, question mark. I don't know. I don't get out much these days, lol. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? that I wanted to kill my mom for a long time. I wanted to hurt and kill her for abusing my sister. My mom died in 1992 of breast cancer. What, if anything, do you wish for? Peace from these memories. Have you shared these things with others? Not to this degree. Only my brother, whom I'm very close to. Thank God he's in my life. i benefited from therapy and used the tools I've learned. It is hard at times, but I'm trying. I think expanding... Your support network to include people who've also experienced incest um, and childhood trauma from caregivers would be a great way to help you heal. How do you feel after writing these things down? Anxious and angry. Thank you for that. Man, that is a lot. That is intense. Sending you some, some love and good vibes. And finally, this is an awful moment filled out by somebody who calls themselves necessary evil. And uh, to just kind of uh, set the scene, uh, uh, his mom was in the hospital uh, battling cancer. And he writes, it was the worst week of my life, and the hospital itself was just so horrible and draining to be in. My younger brother was there with me, and he and I were leaning on each other a lot. We were both exhausted and depleted of the energy even to talk to each other as we left the hospital one evening. Walking to the elevator bay on the second floor there was a very old, very slow moving man with a bouquet of flowers almost bigger than he was. He was shuffling down the hall so slowly and we couldn't get around him. He was unaware of us and we didn't have the energy to say anything so we just shuffled behind him. My brother and I exchanging looks like perfect. Just fucking perfect. We got in the elevator and hit the ground floor button. He shuffled in after us so slowly that we had to hit the door open button for him, delaying us even further. He got in and also pressed the ground floor button, clearly not seeing that it was already pressed. But the elevator went up instead, speeding past the floors all the way up to six. The doors opened with a ding and the old man just automatically shuffled out and started walking down the hall. I couldn't just leave him on the wrong floor, so I jumped forward and called out, "'Sir, sir,' and finally put my hand on his shoulder to make him turn around. He shuffled back with me to the elevator. Again, we waited, and again he pressed the button for ground, even though it was already pressed. The elevator started going down but stopped at the second floor to let someone on. The door dinged open, and again... The old man immediately shuffled out the door and started walking down the hall. I couldn't believe how quick he was making up for lost time. I yelled after him again, sir, sir, but he just shuffled down ahead as the door closed. This time my brother did not hit the door open button and the elevator started going down. I let out a deep sigh and looked at my brother who was shaking his head. The door opened on the ground floor and both of us just started laughing as we walked out It felt strange at first because neither of us had laughed in a long time. But then it just kept coming, and within seconds we were both leaning on one another to keep from falling down. I just couldn't stop thinking about this old man shuffling back and forth with his flowers and how we inadvertently took him on a pointless ride to the sixth floor, only to drop him back where he'd started. It was like a Pixar movie, the way he seemed so sure of himself, so dutiful in his march, so purposeful on his way back to whatever room he came out of. I felt bad for failing to help him, but I really did try. In those moments, you might as well appreciate the absurdity of it all. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you to uh, my guest, Michelle, and uh, especially uh, thank you, uh, those of you that Take the time to fill out the surveys. They're a really important part of the show, and uh, I appreciate you doing that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're out there and you're struggling, just never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody up I know in some is weird bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up I in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up, in some, beautifully
1: fucked up in some weird way.